your Bibles. We're going to be in Jonah 4. Finish up the book of Jonah today, and then we have a four-week Easter series. It'll be a lot of fun that we're going to go through, so... Well, this book is all about second chances, and last week we talked about second chances and third chances and 15th chances and 300th chance and all that, and we started out in the scriptures that said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim uh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, and I forgot to dismiss the kids didn't I? See, I get a second chance to dismiss the kids. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And in verse 5, we see that it says, The Ninevites believed God. What an incredible thing for the people to turn around and to, to say, What we've been doing is wrong, and now we truly believe in this one true God. He can save us. And what we see in the book of Jonah is this incredible turn of events, this incredible turn toward salvation, if you will. In fact, God saves everyone in the story. In chapter 1, the big storm comes up, and who does he save? He saves the sailors. In chapter 2, who does he save? The prophet Reconnects with Jonah in the middle of the well. In chapter 3, who does he save? The Ninevites. The whole book is about salvation and repentance, which I think kind of really correlates well with the the whole idea of Palm Sunday and and salvation being offered and people having a chance for for repentance as, as Passover was coming up for them. But we see this dramatic scene in chapter 2, where, where Jonah reconnects with God. And we talked about how the most dramatic turn toward God are people who say they believe in God. People who, who at one point were on the right path and get off that path. And all of a sudden God comes back around and chases them down and reconnects with them. And it's a dramatic exchange of, of, of humanity for godliness. God's people who turn to him. And God gives us that second chance to serve and and to be used. Comes back around and, 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 you know, says, get it right this time in a sense. Now, Jonah, he's penniless. He has no money at this point. He's been upchucked from the well, and God says, you need to go. The gastric juices have done a good job on him. He's hairless. His skin is bleached and dry. So this hairless, albino-looking guy heads toward Nineveh finally. And come to find out, the bleaching actually improved his preaching. If you like that one, just thought I'd throw that in there. Jonah is a walking story of grace, and it's the exact message that they need to hear. They did not need some perfect preacher guy coming into town telling them all what to do. And talking down to them. 
They needed some guy who <clears throat> who had been through the ringer, who had been through that, who'd been literally barfed up on the beach, basically. And he says, you want to know about God's grace? I will tell you about God's grace to listen to my story. But he doesn't always say it like that. He just goes through and preaches it. But I'm sure they heard the story before he even got there. What is really cool is in chapter 3, verse 8, the Ninevites decide to repent. And the king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is what's so cool about God. They repented and he forgave. He saw past their evil ways and saw right into their heart. With genuine repentance, God's grace is not that far beyond, uh, you know, behind. And as we looked at last week uh, and talked about you know, our own culture and what we're going through and how this culture is much like Nineveh's culture. His culture is very evil. The things that are, are being proposed, being taught to our children and so forth are not always good. They need to be reminded of the truth, and we need to be reminded from time to time that our culture is based on evil because of Satan. That is the foundation of our culture. Original foundation was God, and they tore it down. Satan tore that down and tried to rebuild it in his image, but God's image is still around. And a few minutes of teaching do, does not change the fact that, there are, that you know, our culture is evil just like their cultures. I mean, even 10 years ago, some of the things that, that are acceptable now would not have been acceptable back then. Even the language in schools or on TV. Some of the books that they're talking about in school, new curriculum that they're proposing. Everyone seems to be pushing an agenda instead of just teaching our children. So we need to be careful, and we need to teach our children. We need to raise our children, our grandchildren, in a godly manner. But also, the more I think about it, every generational change really is no different than before. I mean, it, who was it in the Bible that says that there's nothing new under the sun? Yeah, there's nothing new. The evil's always been here ever since Satan has come down here. And we are no different than the society that the Ninevites were. And what, you know, what I mean is that the evilness has been in the world since Adam and Eve. So we can't use the excuse, well, it's different now. It's different. No, it's not. It's just delivered a little differently and a lot quicker with the Internet and TV and everything else, all our devices we have to be, we, we, in a sense, we have to be paranoid parents for those that have kids uh, uh, to, you know, keep checking what are they watching, what are they looking at online, what are they hearing. Ever so often, I'll have Grayson in my lap, and he'll be looking at some YouTube videos or something, and, and I'll hear a guy start talking in one of the videos, and I'm like, all I got to do is barely move my head toward him. He's sitting right here on the edge of my chair, and I just kind of barely move my head, and he goes... Because he knows that, okay, he's listening. What, what am I hearing that I'm not supposed to hear? And he goes, okay, and he just switches the video. 
And then I talked to him. I said, well, we don't talk like that. We, we, we shouldn't be using that type of language. We don't use those words. Do you hear mom and daddy using those words? If you don't hear mom and daddy using those words, then we, you should never use those words. We're trying to lay that foundation for them. But our world tries to give a whole different truth to our young ones. But along with all this evilness, there's a spiritual hunger, I think, that, that I believe that's out there. Even people who you've given up on have a spiritual hunger for the Lord. Go back and share with them again. Never, you, you never know when they're going to be ready. Uh, you know, don't give up on them. Uh, you know, all is not lost, even though you feel they're lost. We also need to be careful about how we present it. Even though there's a spiritual hunger, uh, you know, we become susceptible to this new age teaching and this, this false religion that's out there. And all, all uh, false religions out there say that they're new, but they're really not new. They come from old. They're just recycled. There's no new religion or understanding in this world. There's God and there's not God. Do you understand that? There's God and there's not God. And not God can be presented in so many different ways and wrapped in all these new packages. But there's truth and there's no truth. He is the only truth. So it goes on in chapter 4. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. The Ninevites repented. God said... I relent from my, my passion of dealing with you guys. My anger comes back. I'm bringing that back. I'm going to forgive you. And he becomes angry. Wow. It's kind of ironic. At the same time, God is letting go of his anger. He's becoming more angry. Have you ever been there? You see somebody forgiven? And you go, that's just not right. <laughs> we do the same thing as Jonah. Jonah wasn't just angry. He was mad. I mean, mad about it. In fact, in verse 2, it says he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? Now, I'm putting a little inflection on it, but I think he kind of had an attitude with God, don't you think? Lord, when I was still at home, I said this. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. <laughs> you sound like it, right? I just knew it. The greatest revival in recorded history at this point, and the preacher is ticked off. <laughs> the preacher's the one that needs to kind of follow up after the revival. You know what I'm saying? But he's mad instead. The king of Nineveh says what? Who knows, this God may go easy on us. But Jonah goes, I just knew it. Oh, I knew you had forgiveness in your heart, God. God, do you know what these people have done? I could almost imagine God kind of rolling his eyes. No, no, go, go ahead, Jonah. Tell me what these people have done. And Jonah would probably sit there and tell them. And we've talked about the gross evilness of the Ninevites and the Assyrians. And, you know, they had mastered uh, things that I don't want to talk about because there's little ears in the back. And I've already talked about it uh, before. You did not want to be the Assyrians' enemies. 
Those they didn't kill, they led into captivity, and I left it at home. I ordered it, and I got it in in time, and I left it at home. Um, it wasn't, I'll tell you in a second, it, it wasn't that they just let them in the captivity. It was the way they did it. Oh, man, can't believe you let me forget this, Lisa. I'll blame it on her, right? They would line it. I was going to ask volunteers for this, by the way. They would line She turned me. Oh, there we go. I don't know what. Okay. They would line you up, and they would take these big old hooks, okay? Big old hook, and they would hook you in the jaw, in the side of the mouth, with a line about two foot long, because they didn't social distance, and they would hook into another person, another two foot, another person, and they would just have a line of people, and you'd just be hooked, being pulled along, and you would have to go at their speed. You would have to go however they were going. So I, I think I would have got a lot of volunteers here for that, right? But I ordered a big old hook to show you. I told Brandon that was, uh, you know, you needed a big hook for a big fish in Canada. So there you go. But you could imagine Jonah. This is why I went to Tarshish. This is why you wanted me here. I was afraid of them. I was afraid that you would, you would have compassion on them also. And now you've done it. I knew you were a gracious God, and you shouldn't have given them grace. Your compassion, your compassion has led to, or your kindness has led to compassion. God was moved by the compassion for these people. He goes on and says, slow to anger and abounding to love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I mean, as gods go, you're kind of a wimp here. Whatever happened to justice, God? Verse 3, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> he doesn't want to live with this assignment. You know, I think Jonah might have been surprised by their repentance, Maybe not, I don't know. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and he obeyed. And I think because he didn't want to go back into the fish, or you know, he didn't want to be disciplined again. But I honestly believe that the Lord would have kept coming to Jonah, kept after him, going, No, I need you to go. So he finally obeyed because he knew God, but he didn't did not want to see these people receive the grace of God. And you will, you will notice in his sermon, in his one-line sermon, there is no grace there. And I know people like this. People who shove the Bible down people's throats, and there's just no grace. You have to decide, and you have to decide now, and that's just it. But, there's, but, but, but we leave out the grace of God in that. He didn't want to see these people repent. He didn't want them to meet God on good terms. He didn't want to see any of that. So he didn't even mention God when he preached, but they knew who he was. Jonah didn't want to see these people blessed. He wanted to see, see them get blasted. So Jonah didn't want to witness their salvation. He wanted to witness their annihilation. I mean, this guy's, in a sense, we've talked about it. He's kind of justified in how he feels about the enemy, but, and not to mention his reputation as a prophet is on the line. I mean, he was a good news prophet for, for, for God's people, and now he's a prophet for God's enemy, you know, God's people's enemy. 
They didn't like the Assyrians. According to Deuteronomy chapter 18, if a prophet comes and says something and it doesn't come true, the man is a false prophet and deserves to die. So what did Jonah say? Forty more days and you will be overturned. This is the way we, we uh, um, translate that. Which did come true, just not in the way he thought it would come true. He thought the whole city was going to be destroyed. But it was overturned with revival. I think another thing also is that, that he can't necessarily go home now. He's a prophet that saved Israel's enemy. And Israel is stubbornly rebelling from God at this point, And their enemy has actually been saved and blessed. He's going, hey, there's no way. I, can, I, I don't want to be here. I can't go home now. So what does he say to the Lord? I'm done. I'm done. But then the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's going to wait and see. He feels like these, uh, these Assyrians aren't going to be able to repent. He's like, I'm going to wait and see if it, you know, I'm going to wait and see if this sticks. They, they, they've sort of repented, but I don't, I don't think it's a real repentance. I think they're just trying to save their hide. So I'm just going to come out here. I'm just going to wait and see. Because I believe God's just going to nuke them. I mean, the fire's going to fall from the heavens, and, and I'm going to witness this so I can go back home and say, yep, I gave them the message, and it's all taken care of now. We don't have to worry about the Assyrians anymore. God didn't ask me to love them, thankfully, because I wouldn't have. You can imagine Jonah thinking. You know, it's sad that Jonah couldn't get past the hatred in his heart to love others. Do we see that today in our hearts? Do we see that today in our society? The hatred of others? Whether it's skin color, whether it's attitude, whatever it is, politics. Thousands of Ninevites just gave their heart to the Lord. He should have been down there ministering. He should have been down there dis discipling. And he's the only one who could direct them because they didn't know what, what they were doing. They didn't know too much about God. They just they knew enough to say, this God is real. They're like, now that we've repented, what do we do? Can you imagine some of them going, hey, where did that prophet dude go? Oh, he was mad. What do you mean mad? Well, he just left. I think he's outside the city somewhere. I also think that his attitude about these people would have changed if he would have hung around. If Jonah would have stayed and seen how sorry these people truly were, if Jonah could have hung around just long enough to see and witness this, I think he would have fell in love with these guys. I think his compassion would have come back. It's interesting that God called Jonah to preach them and not to love them. The love of God should have come naturally from Jonah because he was a prophet of God. If we are a Christian, if we say we truly believe and, and love our God, then we ought to have compassion and love for other people, even when they hate us. What is it in Romans? What does it say? We should have a love for one another 
because of what he did on the cross for us. I think Jonah was in a recipe for depression. Just uninvolve yourself, get mad, walk away, isolate yourselves, cross your arms. I'm done. I don't care. I wouldn't have made that decision. Now, if you were God, what would you do with Jonah? It goes on, verse 6, it says, And the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Or discomfort. So God blesses Jonah. You see how gracious God is? And this is the nature of God. He is so gentle with Jonah right now. He's wanting Jonah to repent. He's wanting Jonah to change his mind. A lot like the Ninevites. But Jonah sat there and thought he was right. And I love this next part. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Finally, it took four chapters. Jonah is finally happy. You ever know people like this? I wouldn't say kids, but we were all kids at one point, right? And you're just like, finally, finally, this person is happy. And this is where Jonah's at. He wasn't happy when God first talked to him. God only talked to prophets most of the time back then. You would think he'd be happy that God chose him to be talking to. But he wasn't happy that the creator of the universe was talking to him. He wasn't happy when when God saved him and rescued him. He wasn't happy when the fish dumped him up on the sea. He wasn't happy when Nineveh repented. But boy, give this guy a nice vine that grows up and gives him a little shade, and he's finally happy. Sure, he went down and to the well and got a little water and brought it and kind of put the water on the plant every day to keep it growing and stuff, taking care of it. See, this is what happens when people give up relationships with other people. They get a chihuahua, you know, or a plant. They talk to it all day long. They take it everywhere they go. For Jonah, I love my vine. I'm going to take care of it. He's not going to have a friendship. He's not going to have a relationship with any of these, these weird Ninevites that, that are coming to the Lord. He's not going to invest himself at all. Verse 7, it says, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Isn't God creative? I can imagine Jonah looking at the worm, going, Well, that little thing, what is that doing over here? Then all of a sudden, Man, I need some pesticide. Runs to town maybe or something. You know, I don't like you, but, but do you have, you know, to the people, I don't like you at all, but do you have anything that will kill a worm? It goes on, it says, a worm chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, is it better for me to die, or it would be better for me to die than to live? Every time I turn around, this guy is talking about dying. This is not a good thing. It's incredible, this deep anger that he's holding on to. I'm amazed about what God is providing here. Have you changed your mind about God's provision? Think about that. Have you changed your mind about how God provides? I mean, God's providing a worm right here. What has God provided all the way through? He provided the word. He talked to Jonah. He provided a storm. He provided a fish. He provided a fish that had a stomach ache. And now a vine. 
to shelter him when he sulked, then a worm that destroyed that comfort, and now a scorching wind. God's provision is absolutely amazing, isn't it? He doesn't doesn't just provide things we tell him to. He provides things that that we need for a life of godliness. And sometimes those are wonderful things that we love, and sometimes those are things that that we just like, why is this happening? God provides roadblocks for our rebellion and destruction for our comfort sometimes in order to teach us, in order to bring us back to him. And if you're living an uncomfortable life right now, then, then you know what? Praise God that God is working for, for you and with you. Hmm. I mean, if you're living in a time where, where you're going, man, what is happening here? Then you need to praise God. But instead, we're like, God wouldn't do this to us, not to me. I've served him faithfully over the years. He didn't provide this. <laughs> Guess what? Yes, he did. He let it chew on the vine. He brought the wind. But Lord, other prophets aren't going through this. Other Christians aren't going through this. And God goes, well, wait a second, Alan. You're not supposed to be looking at other people. Keep the focus on yourself where it belongs. But Lord, they. No, 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 Alan. There is no they. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody in charge of you or or a boss or a parent? Well, they, no, 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 no. We're talking about you, not they. That's what God does with us. Well, he, no, 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 Alan. There is no he. Well, um, her, nope. I, yep, you got it. You provided a worm for me. You ever had a worm for a boss? They just slither in and wreck your day? How about a neighbor? Or should we go there? I don't know. The Nelsons are here. The neighbor's dog. Oh, man. Now I'm going to be talked to by the Nelsons afterward. I'm just joking. Back to Jonah. So Jonah now has no shelter. But I realized something this week. All Jonah would have to do was to go into Nineveh, and he would have been the hero of Nineveh. Here's the prophet who told us to turn from our ways and saved us from an angry God. He would have been like held as a hero for them. They're probably down there looking for him. Where is that mass prophet at, you know? But instead, he's up on the side of the hill. You know, instead of getting refreshed down the city, he's like, I would rather die. Verse 9, it says, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, this is the second time that God has asked Jonah about his anger. Uh, You know, what was his first response back in verse 4? Nothing. He ignored it. He didn't answer God. Almost like, I didn't hear that. You ever do this around the house? You're doing something, and your wife or your husband says something to you, and you pretend like you never heard it, so you don't have to do what they're asking you to do? I've never done that. (laughs) We've all done that. This is what Jonah's doing. You know, it's almost like we're walking around going, la, 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 la. Didn't hear you. 
Do you have any right to be angry? And God's not saying this in a mad way at him. Come on, Jonah. Come on, do you have any right here? So, so let's, uh, you know, so he lets him go all the way through this, and then he comes back with the same question, which is what God does when we ignore him. He goes on and says, verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, that you did not tend, but you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And, and should I not have concern with the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Most scholars believe that this means uh, uh, babies. Uh, the Ninevites were not dumb people. Um, Jonah, if you don't care about the adults, could you at least care about the babies? Could you at least care about the little ones? Somewhere between 600,000 and a million adults. And I'm not even asking you to love them. I'm asking you, could you love the babies? The 120,000 he's talking about are the babies here. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. You go back and look in the translation. Many scholars believe that that's what he's talking about. You don't even worry about that. Okay, well, what about the animals? Do you care about them? I mean, they got these big brown eyes. They look up at you. They haven't done anything to you. How about the vines, the vine that you didn't even grow? Do you care about that? God asked him a question. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Well, I would say at this point, Jonah's burning from, uh, I mean, he's suffering from burnout. And we use this around church a lot. And, and what I mean is ministry burnout, serving uh, burnout. He is emotionally, physically, and mentally, and spiritually fried. He is at the end of his rope, which in this case is suicidal, which is terrible. And some would serve and give and give and give and serve and serve. And for others, that maybe they're new to the church and, you know, some people come from, from other places, and, and, and you know the look when they show up, and you just look at them, and you go, man, they look tired. And you can tell they're burned out. You can tell that they've, they've been through the ringer. Maybe something fried you out and wore you out. When ministry was supposed to refresh you, the, how, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit has, has flowed through you, but then you got to a point where it was just work, work, work. And whether you felt appreciated or not, whether you were loved or not, all you know is that you're tired. And maybe you can relate to Jonah in that sense. He was just flat, worn out. You know, he had some reasons. He needed to sit before God and renew himself and not do a lot. He needed to rest. And this is why the Ten Commandments talk, you know, has, has a verse about built-in rest there. We should be resting with the Lord. We were built uh, as emotional, physical, and spiritual beings, and, and we need to take a look every now and then, because if you ever need a break, you need to take one. Don't make excuses. You don't have to apologize. Obey the Lord and get rested up, because God wants to use us in a mighty way, and it's hard to do that when we've been run ragged. But a burned-out person is also not a loving person a lot of times. You ever notice that? They have this negative attitude that's always happening. 
You need to let God deal with burnout and anger and slowly start ministry where God wants you to start ministry at. Some people just need to come and soak and not feel guilty. This is a place where where God brought you to heal you and to give you rest. But then there's other people, it's like, we need to get busy. And in my 28 years of of ministry, of of being in ministry, and then more years before that, just being around ministry and stuff, I've seen a lot of people burn out in ministry. I've seen a lot of people serve and then just walk away. They have this attitude, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. Well, then you need to ask yourself, well, should it even be done? Sometimes the answer is no. I've learned one thing. Yeah, you may feel like it takes six people to replace you, but if something needs to really be done, it's going to get done. The point is, you are responsible for you, and you you are responsible for your walk with the Lord. And if you're bitter or angry at the church or bitter or angry at God because they've worked you too hard, then look in the mirror and find out whose fault it is. As we develop our church, as we uh, build, you know, especially after coronavirus, as we build things back up around here, uh, the one thing I've learned is don't start something just to have it. Don't just do it just to have it. It doesn't work well. Another thing I've tried to, to do is allow the, the, the word, to, uh, word no to be involved. You know, there comes a point where we have to be able to say no. You know, I'd love to help out with that, but I can't right now. No. And anytime you want to use the word no, it's okay to use that word. It's a legitimate response. Now, for Jonah, he was unhappy with, with how his life was turning out. He wasn't in control. He didn't have, you know, this, uh, this wonderful assignment. He didn't want it. He didn't want to be there, so he was unhappy, and a dark cloud was hanging over him. And some of us can relate from, uh, to that uh, at some point. We're unhappy about our jobs. We're unhappy about our assignment in life. And we don't see any way out of that assignment in life. And you know what? I can't relate to that right now. Some people say, well, why do you stay? I stay because God told me to you know, be here, and that's where I'm at. I love being able to raise my family. I love being able to be, be, be used by God and teach the word of God. But we, you know, I'm not happy where God ha- you know, unhappy with uh, where God has me right now. But I can tell you there's times when I was asking God, uh, are you sure you want me working here? I mean, many of you have been around since uh, you know, 16 years or something like that. I don't know how, how long. At the very beginning, there was some stuff that was going on. And I was just like, Lord, what, what are you doing? Why? I'm not happy about this. And God just says, stick with it. Stick with it. Many of you can relate to the dark cloud hanging over you as you drive into work in the mornings. I hate this place. I hate these people. I hate this job. You know what? God knows how you feel, and he might have you there for a reason. God provided that. We need to understand that when God is not blessing us in the sense that we like the word blessing, he is developing us, which is also a blessing. The blessing is like a vacation, but most of life is tough. So we need to get to the point where we say, Lord, I hate it here, but I'm willing to learn. 
And we need to learn whatever is possible, uh, you know, that God wants to teach us in that environment so we don't think it's a waste. You know what? We need to pray those honest prayers to God. And then God will probably say, wow, I've been waiting to hear these words from you. You know, it could possibly be that God has just brought you there to be a witness to one person. Are you willing to stay through the muck? Are you willing to stay through the pain to be able to witness to that one person? You never know. God is developing Jonah here. I also think that, that as we can tell, Jonah you know, had a, had a deep-seated hatred toward these people. He doesn't want to share God's grace with them. He, does, he, he wants to see them burn in hell, basically. Now, he may never want to say it that way out loud, but he knows it, and so does God, and so does everybody else. You can just tell by the look on his face. You can tell by the, by the tone of the voice. He didn't want to be in heaven with these people, and yet God doesn't ask him for permission. I love that. He wants God to hate these people because he doesn't want to forgive them. Jonah's suffering from the classic and chronic unforgiveness. It doesn't matter what the Assyrians did. The unforgiveness and hatred and the anger has taken on a life of its own. And he may not even know why he's mad. He is just mad. The Ninevites are moving on. They had dealt with it. But Jonah's not. He is angry. He is so mad. You know, but you know, far be it for Jonah to go into town and say, Hey, guys, the worm ate my vine. The wind has been harsh. Can you help me out? Can someone feed me? Can someone house me tonight? Then, then I'll just be on my way. He couldn't even do that. Three words he couldn't say, I forgive you. I forgive you. You don't deserve it, but I forgive you. Jonah felt he had a legitimate, justifiable reason to hate these people. But you know what? Is any hatred justifiable as a follower of God? Is any angry, you know, anger justifiable that takes a life on its own, that starts eating us up inside? It has been proven by, by psychologists and doctors that you know, unforgiveness will shorten our life. We'll shorten it. Most therapists, they deal with what? Can you forgive this person and move on? Versus not letting go. Doctors tell us that, that unforgiveness raises our blood pressures and causes our hearts to do crazy things. Even your immune system breaks down when you don't forgive other people. When you have this hatred every day and every night. And guess what? On paper, you probably have that hatred. Uh, that, that, that hatred. But this isn't about paper. Life is about living. And life is being, you know, is robbed by unforgiveness of others. The message of Jonah is this. Until you forgive, you're not coming off the hillside. And that worm will just sit there and keep eating and eating. And the wind will keep blowing. The Ninevites are down, you know, down partying in town. They don't even care. They're excited. They're forgiven. 
They don't, they're not even thinking about you. You're not punishing them. You're only punishing yourself. And until you let go and let God do with it and deal with it the way he wants to deal with it, you're going to sit there and you're going to suffer. If God wants to judge the Ninevites, let him judge the Ninevites. If God wants to forgive the Ninevites, let God forgive the Ninevites. It's none of your business in a sense. It's just killing you. It's eating you alive and robbing you of the joy that you could have because you were so focused on the anger or the bitterness uh, you know, of that awful person and that thing that they did to you. You know, life is way too short to hang on to these things. You know, I was talking to some friends about Jonah before I began this series, and we were discussing who wrote this book. And it's assumed that Jonah wrote it. It, it, it kind of comes across as a very personal story, a lot of personal details. I mean, how do they know those details if it wasn't him? And then a friend of mine said, well, maybe it was his grandson who, who wrote it. Maybe it was somebody close to him. Maybe it was a friend of a grandson that says, let me tell you about my bitter old grandpa. And sits down and just tells a story. Or his wife. I used to have this husband that just loved life. But let me tell you what happened to him. Or maybe his child. My dad used to be fun. But then something happened. All I know is that everyone in this room has been wronged by someone, right? We've all been wronged by someone. Everyone in this room has been dealt injustice, and that is a part of life. I keep trying to tell my my, uh, 10-year-old that, that some things happen that are just a part of life, and you have to deal with it. We are people who are called out and called away. And one of the reasons that we're, or one of the things that we're, we're called for is to be holy. And we're supposed to take that holiness to this angry world, uh, to, be, to, to be taken away from that anger, to, to be able to give them something, not to fake it, but to begin to live life again when people around us say, I can't believe how forgiving you are. That's because we realize that we've been forgiven. We give the same grace that's been given to us. You're not mad anymore. How? Why? Well, Jesus helped me forgive them. And you can tell them why. And you can forgive him too. And when the people see see this, and you forgiving other people, they see God because our God is is a merciful God. It is his nature. If there is no mercy, then, then you are not living like God. If you're not giving out mercy. Jonah knew that God was a compassionate and he was slow to angry, uh, anger. How did he know these things? Because God was <laughs> compassionate and slow to anger to him. But when it came to someone else, wait, God, after what they did, I'm not so sure they don't deserve it. When, when it comes time to, to, to act like God, oh, man, it's so hard for us. The first step may be, well, God, I can't forgive them, but I allow you to forgive them. And God just kind of laughs and goes, okay, Alan, we can start there. I'll, I'll continue to work on you, but I can forgive them. Thank you for giving me that permission. But that's a first step for us. And God starts changing our attitude through the process. Jonah is totally exposed 
to who he truly was. In Jonah's anger, he talked to God, and God allowed him to see his anger. And this is a very healthy thing for God to do. I'd rather God, you know, I'd rather God get our anger and your anger and, and, and be, you know, show your frustration to God than take it out on somebody else, especially the world. Because then they just look at you and go, yep, there's a Christian. Jonah told God everything. I want to encourage you. If you're ever in a place where you have anger, Tell God. Tell God. He can take it. Talk to God before you talk to another person because you need to find God's love and His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace in your life so you can give to others. Amen? Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, as we look at the story of Jonah Different parts of it we can relate to. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's burnout, maybe it's all of the above, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's a second chance. But Lord, we, we know that you were slow to anger and you're abounding in love. We know all this about you, Lord, and I pray that we start to feel this in our own lives. That when we get to be like Jonah, at certain points in our life, that we not be like him that goes up on the side of the hill and waits for your destruction to come upon the people. But that we become happy that God, that you saved, that you saved them. Non-believers, people who need to come to you. People who you want to spend eternity with. Give us the heart of compassion. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you receive forgiveness like the Ninevites. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.